Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Catholics with Bibles, the podcast dedicated to empowering Catholics to read, interpret, and pray with sacred scripture with the eyes of faith and reason. I'm your host, Chase Krauss. Let's dive in. What up, y'all? Hope you're having a fantastic week. I hope your 4th of July weekend was somewhat enjoyable. If you're anything like Austin, Texas, your 4th of July got uh, shut down pretty hard. Um, there was no like public large gatherings, which is good. I mean, obviously we shouldn't be, you know, congregating in giant uh, groups, but it is weird not to have like concerts and like fireworks and fun um, <laughs> on on Fourth of July weekend. I hope you still managed to do something. My wife and I we ended up hanging out with another couple friend of ours who have a baby around our our baby's age, and they both work from home and they don't do anything crazy. So we're like, all right, let's go chill with them. And they live far enough away from the city where people are like shooting off fireworks in their backyard and fun stuff like that. Um, so anyway, my weekend was great. <laughs> uh, also, another really cool thing, uh, just kind of a life update on my part. So I don't know if you, I, mean, I don't know if you're listening to this, you know this about me or not, but one of the things I do on the side, so full time, I'm the director of uh, youth and young adult ministry at St. Teresa Catholic Church and School in Austin, Texas. But on the side, I'm actually a, a personal trainer. I got into uh, fitness. Actually, my wife got pregnant with our first baby uh, because I realized that I didn't want her feel, to feel pressured uh, rushing back into um, a job. You know, after the baby was born, uh, I, you know, obviously we were open to that, but you know, I didn't want her to feel like she had to uh, for our livelihood and stuff like that. So I started. Uh, I got certified to be a personal trainer and I started just training people. I started started coaching. And I'm a coach at Orange Theory Fitness on the side. And uh, one of the exciting things that I've been working on for about a year and a half, which is nuts to think about it now, a buddy of mine, we were getting fed up with uh, the fitness culture, basically being all about getting ripped for the sake of looking, you know, quote, sexy. Um, And just it's a stupid reason to work out. If your reason to work out is just to look sexy, that is so shallow. And one day you're going to be 80 years old and you will not have a six pack, but you still need to stay active and fit in some way. So we launched a company called HyperoFit. So uh, if you can go to hyperofit.com and check us out, it's H-Y-P-U-R-O-F-I-T, hyperofit.com. And we're a Catholic fitness company that offers online coaching. And also we have something called Team Hypero, which is our monthly subscription program for people who have access to our workout of the month, our video library and all that stuff. So um, really excited. So if you guys, I mean, if you, you or somebody you know is interested in one-on-one Catholic coaching, online coaching, um, to help you grow in your faith and, and fitness uh, journey, then check out our website, hyperfit.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram and all that good stuff. And also with that, we published a book called, uh, sorry, I just totally blanked on what my own book's called. Anyway, it's called Journey to Self-Gift. Um, <laughs> oh man, it's it's early apparently. So anyway, yeah, the book's called Journey to Self-Gift. You can find it on the website. You can find it on Amazon as well. Uh, and it's basically our philosophy towards uh, integrating faith and fitness and why fitness is an essential part of our faith journey. So giant plug there <laughs> for uh, for my company. Yeah, anyway, it's called HyperoFit. So please uh, do me a favor. Find us on Instagram and Facebook. Give us a follow. Give us a share. Check out our website if you're interested in teaming up with a coach or turning joining Team Hypero. Uh, go to our website. All the information's there and follow us on the social meds, and you'll get updated. So anyway, back to Catholics with Bibles. Um, <laughs> uh, so we're still in First Thessalonians, and today we're actually going to get through all of chapter 3 today. Chapter 3 is not terribly long. 
it's only about, you know, 12 verses or so, 13 verses. And, uh, it's, it's beautiful and it's, it's really good. Um, but it's not like a super dense chapter either. Uh, so yeah, we're gonna get through the whole thing today. And before we start, as always, let's get into the Greek word of the day. Greek word of the day is epipothontes, epipothontes. <laughs> wow. I picked two weeks in a row to pick Greek words that are hard, hard to pronounce for me. Anyway, uh, epithea, epithemia, epithontes. Anyway, it's the, it's a word for desire. Um, it's the word for uh, too long for something to desire something. Uh, and it's all over the place in the old and the new Testament, the Greek Septuagint, the old Testament. And you have, you know, instances where it is more of a romantic gesture, like, you know, the desire of uh, a woman or desire of a man. Uh, but you also have just the longing of, uh, other, other desires as well. You have, you know, I long for battle or I desire this, desire that. Anyway, Paul's going to use it today in chapter three. So we're going to get to that in a little bit here. But uh, first, we got to start with verse one. So we're going to dive into chapter three, verse one. If you don't have your Bible out in front of you, bust it open. Google the Bible. If you don't have a Bible handy, you can find the Bible on the interwebs for free. Uh, once again, I'm using the ESV because uh, that's my Greek-English translation, so the Greek and the English are right beside each other, so I can kind of peek over to the Greek when I need to. Uh, the uh, ESV is just a bit more of a, a literal translation. The RSV, NRSV is awesome. The NAB is okay. Um, some parts it's pretty good, some parts it's pretty crap. Uh, but it's, and the reason I say that, not to like bash you if you really love the NAB, not to bash the NAB or anything. Um, it's just they try to make the language... Um, a little too modern. So sometimes when you try to make something sound uh, super understandable to, to modern readers, you lose the actual like meaning uh, of, of the phrase, kind of the more the literal transla translation. So that's why I tend not to use it too much. So as I'm reading, if your translation is a little bit off, um, it's probably because you're using the RSV and RSV. If it's drastically off at some points, odds are using NAB. Um, and hopefully I can... And, get into why those some words might be translated differently. Uh, so anyway, let's start from the top. Chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith, that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourself know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass, and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. All right, so in chapter three here, um, we're getting near the end of Paul's first section. By the end of chapter three, the first section will be done. And the first section of this letter has really been Paul recounting his experience with the Thessalonians and then his uh, departure from them and his desire to be reunited with them. And so this is kind of wrapping up his section here. Uh, and so we're learning that apparently after Paul was chased out of Thessalonica, uh, he basically was just so worried that this baby church would fall back and fall away from the faith that he said he could bear it no longer. So he sent Timothy to go reassure them. And we got to understand, Timothy was Paul's right-hand man, him and Silas who were writing this letter. 
Timothy was, I mean, Paul's go-to guy. He's basically number one assistant, number one backup preacher. And so for Paul to send Timothy somewhere in Paul's name was a huge deal. I mean, it wasn't something to be taken lightly, lightly. And it showed the Thessalonians really how much Paul uh, cares for them because Paul couldn't go himself because remember earlier, I think in chapter one, it says Satan prevented him, him from going. Uh, we don't know exactly what that means, but we know that Paul wanted to go, but he just couldn't, couldn't get there. So he sent Timothy instead, which was a huge deal. And Timothy, um, obviously at first and second Timothy, Timothy was a powerhouse next to Paul. Uh, St. Timothy was not something to be tri- somebody to be trifled with. He was a preacher, an evangelist. He was somebody who loved Jesus and was a disciple of Paul. And so he sends Timothy. And an interesting thing here in, in verse 2, he sends Timothy, our brother and co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith. So that's interesting because a lot of people will interpret faith as merely an intellectual assent. So when you say, oh, I have, I have faith that uh, he will do what he says. I mean, that's a valid use of the word faith. It's more of an intellectual assent to a truth or to a reality that you cannot see before your eyes. Uh, but that's only one aspect of faith. To be faithful is to be like loyal, right? So this shows that, you know, faith, it's Paul's definition of faith is not this limited, it's not limited to a merely intellectual assent. Because if it was, it'd be silly for to send Timothy for this reason. Paul wasn't sending Timothy to Thessalonica to make sure that, you know, they, ha- they hadn't forgotten the good news and therefore needed to be like re-preach the good news so they can intellectually assent that Jesus Christ is Lord. No, he sends Timothy to Thessalonica to make sure that they were being loyal to the word that they had already heard, that they were being loyal to Jesus Christ, to his life, death, and resurrection, to his message, to Paul's preaching to them. So he was looking to make sure they were still faithful. Not that they still intellectually remembered or understood or believed, but rather that they were living out what they professed to believe, that faithfulness. In in verse 3, he says, "...that no one be moved by these afflictions." For you know yourselves that we are destined for this. We're destined for what? We're destined for affliction, Paul says. Paul's telling and reminding the Thessalonians here that part of the Christian journey is the cross. Jesus says, you have to take up your cross daily and follow me. And Paul even says in verse 4, For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand. Some translations might say we warned you beforehand. Uh, It's a bit... Two of a, that's a negative way to interpret that. Uh, more of the wooden, the literal interpretation, especially according to Nathan Eubank, is like we were telling you beforehand that we were to suffer afflictions just as it comes to pass, just as you know. So Paul never sugarcoated the gospel message. He didn't try to present it as this warm, fuzzy, kumbaya, let's, let's hold hands around a campfire, faith, religion. No, he, he, t- he warned them. He told them beforehand. To follow Christ is to pick up his cross. To be conformed to the image of the Son is to have cruciformity, to be cruciform in shape. That is your life. That is your salvation. 
So I think we can learn a lesson, especially if, if you're in ministry, or even if you're not in ministry, if you're baptized, that means you're you're an evangelist in some way, you're priest, prophet, and king in your baptism, called to save souls for Christ. But I think too often we try to sugarcoat the gospel. We try to make it seem like this like warm, fuzzy, you know, big teddy bear. When the fact of the matter is, while it is good, it's not about warm fuzzies. Now, don't get me wrong. Jesus is a merciful and loving Lord, and he sends consolation because he knows our weakness. But at the same time, our journey in this life on earth must be cruciform. That's the way to heaven. Jesus did not will to enter heaven or to return to heaven without the cross. Therefore, how can we expect to get there without the cross? So, learning this lesson, that while the gospel is good, it is not fluffy. Paul never never said it would be. Uh, for this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn of your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and your, our labor was in vain. Uh, Nathan Eubank points out that this is uh, potentially can be connected to the parable of the sower who sowed seed in a field and the tempter, same word, came and uh, spread seed, uh, spread weeds, sorry, in the field. And so when the crop grew, the weeds came up with, with the wheat. So this, the, the tempter, I mean, his main job is your damnation. His main goal is to make sure Jesus loses souls. He's going to do that by sowing weeds into the wheat. But like Jesus says in the parable, God's not going to come and just wipe out the weeds because if he does, he'll lose wheat. So rather he's going to wait until it's harvest time and then he'll separate the weeds from the wheat. So moving on to verse 6. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgivings can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. All right, so this is officially uh, the end of the first section, uh, technically the, the last couple of verses there of chapter three. It's a prayer, so that's, I mean, it's, you can include that in the first section, but this is a content-wise, the end of this section. And so that word that I mentioned, epipothuntes, that's the the desire. So Paul says, as we long to see you, as we desire to see you, it's in it's paragraph, I mean, it's, it's intensely emotional for Paul. Everything in this letter has been intensely emotional for Paul. And I think a lot of the times as modern readers, we can get a little weirded out by this uh, type of language. Uh, Americans especially, we have you know, roots in some uh, puritanical lines of thought. 
uh, where this that I'm overly emotional, overly uh, sensual language, if you will, uh, is just frowned upon. And so you you know you don't express deep emotion unless you're really close with somebody, and even then it's hard for a lot of people. And maybe you're not like that. Uh, if not, good for you. Um, but I think a lot of us are. I know I, I struggle with this. I struggle to express my emotions uh, well and adequately. Um, and Paul obviously doesn't doesn't worry about that. Uh, his, his language here isn't unusual for his time. A, a lot of writers in, in, in Greek antiquity, they'd use similar language. They use really intense emotional language uh, to describe what they're feeling, to, to describe their desire to be united to the person that they are writing to. And it's not really, it's not romantic language necessarily, it, but it's that understanding of you, there can be a paternal, fraternal, um, plat a platonic emotion between two people without it being overly sexualized. We're such an, we're in an overly sexualized world country where everything has to be viewed through a romantic or sexual lens. And that's just not the case uh, for Paul, for the Thessalonians. Um, and he's just expressing his emotions, uh, which is really beautiful. You know, and I, I, I hope that, you know, I can raise my kids that way where not everything's just overly sexualized and overly, you know, romanticized. Uh, and part of that's too, it's just avoiding, you know, crap TV, crap movies uh, that just view everything in that light. So it's not romantic language here. It's just Paul speaking from his heart. Um, so verse nine, we have, for what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? All the joy that we feel for your sake before our God as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. So this is a rhetorical question, and uh, your Bible might have that be two different sentences. In the Greek, it's just one big sentence. Um, and so it's interesting because that, that word there in the beginning of verse 9, for what thanksgiving can we return to God? And the literal translation of that is what, what thanksgiving can we pay back to God for you. And, and for modern ears, this sounds really weird because uh, what do you mean that Thanksgiving is a form of like payment, paying back? Uh, but in the Psalms, you see this language a lot um, about paying back to God or you know asking God to do something with the promise of paying back with Thanksgiving. And it's actually quite beautiful because if you think about it, you can't give God anything. Nothing, literally nothing. God doesn't need anything you have. God doesn't want anything you have. He, he just wants you. Because the one thing God won't do is force you to love him and to acknowledge him as God and King and Lord. So to pay back with thanksgiving is really all we can do. And we do it actually for our own sakes. We do it for our own good. If you look at the Mass, it's, you know, the part of the Eucharistic prayer says, it is our, our duty and our salvation to offer thanks and praise to you, Almighty Father, or something like that. And it's our duty and our salvation to offer thanks. Duty and salvation. God doesn't need our thanks. We do. Because it reminds us of our relationship with God. And for Paul here, he's asking a rhetorical question. He's like, I'm so happy about your faith so, so overjoyed that you are, you remained faithful through persecution, through trial. 
that, I mean, he Paul's like asking a question, like what, how, how else can I thank God? There's just no, I, I just have to keep thanking him because there's nothing else I can do. How can I repay God but to thank him? And this is actually great, just a, a more of a psychological level, just um, for mental health. Some of the most mentally healthy and stable people I know have this intense and constant attitude of gratitude, right? It's something that we, we can adopt. I've heard it uh, said one time, you know, get a journal or like open the notes in your phone. Before you go to bed every night, write down 10 things you are grateful for that day and thank God for them. Especially if you struggle with pessimism, especially if you struggle with um, even depression and grant chemical depression is not going to fix chemical depression. I'm not, I'm not saying that, but you know, maybe it's not chemical depression, but maybe you're just in a low point right now in your life. You know, write down like 10 things that you're thankful for every day and do it for three months and just see what happens. Turn it into a person of gratitude and thanksgiving to God. So after this rhetorical question, we have verses 11 through 13, and that's, and that's a prayer. We read, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Uh, a couple things to note here. We have to remember that uh, First Thessalonians is arguably the, the first and oldest Christian document that we still possess, first letter that Paul wrote, arguably. And one of the things we take for granted is the fact, is, is the doctrine of the Trinity, that we have one God, three persons, you know, Jesus is consubstantial, co-eternal, co-glorious, and so is the Holy Spirit with the Father. But that doctrine wasn't developed until hundreds of years after Paul and only after a lot of controversy and debate. And so here, verse 11, now we may, now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. Paul here praying, he makes this prayer not only to God the Father, but also to Jesus Christ. Is this high Christology, it's called, this, this view of Jesus' divinity in the first letter that Paul wrote, arguably. And it's really quite beautiful. And it's something we take for granted, but the church in her wisdom praise God that the Holy Spirit works through ecumenical councils, that we have that doctrine of the Trinity. We have do the doctrine also that Jesus is fully God and fully man. Right? That's Once again, it's a doctrine that the church established for our sake. Right, to, to make sure we, we're in the right way. Uh, and then lastly, verse 13, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. So the goal is to establish us in holiness. And that's actually what Paul's going to talk about, talk about in the rest of the letter. He's going to talk about faith, hope, and love in order to establish us in holiness, or the Thessalonians in holiness. And holiness, though, comes from love. You're sanctified by how you love. Back in verse 12, he prays that, make, that the Lord may make you increase and abound in love. In love. So if you want to be holy, you got to love. And Nathan Eubank actually points out this. It's really beautiful. Uh, it's really insightful, I should say. 
a lot of times in America and in the West, we have this weird thing we do, and I, I even caught myself do it, doing it, where we look at religion and Christianity, and we kind of break it up into liberal and conservative Christianity, even Catholicism at certain points, where you have this false dichotomy where the the conservatives are the ones who look and act holy, and the the liberals are the ones that just accept everybody and love everybody, uh, no matter. Uh, their sins or lifestyle. And that's such a false dichotomy. But it, there's also, I mean, so there's truth in that because too often I think we, we who are striving to live holy lives have that holier than thou approach and therefore don't associate ourselves with people who struggle, who, who maybe live openly sinful lives and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that you got to have your kids hang out around those people, right? That's not what I'm saying. You got to protect your kids, protect those that aren't formed enough to, to know better. But at the same time, holiness, if it's true holiness, it's formed by love. And that love attracts. That love welcomes. But that love also calls people on. Say, I love you. I love you so much where you are, but I love you too much to leave you there. And I want to walk with you in your journey to the Father who will work in you. I and you, we cannot save anybody. It is God. It is the Holy Spirit working through us. The Holy Spirit is the one that changes hearts, who turns our hearts of stone into hearts of flesh, who writes on the tablets of our hearts. So that's First Thessalonians chapter 3. Once again, thank you for joining us at Catholics and Bibles. Also, let's do that plug again. Check out hyperofit.com. Follow us on Facebook and social media. And Facebook and social media. Facebook and Instagram. It's hyperofit.com. H-Y-P-U-R-O-F-I-T.com. And follow us. Share us. Share our stuff. If you're interested in working with a Catholic coach, reach out to us. Or you can join Team Hypero. It's a monthly subscription plan. It's only 10 bucks a month, so it's an awesome deal for a lot of great content. So once again, thanks for joining us. See you next time. Once again, thank you for joining us with Catholics with Bibles. Thanks for letting me randomly plug um, <laughs> my, my company. I really appreciate it. Uh, once again, if you enjoy these podcasts, do me a favor. Find us on the iTunes store or wherever you're listening to this podcast and give us a review, give us a shout, give us a share so that more Catholics and Christians and people in general can be inspired by a Catholicly formed, Catholicly? A Catholic formed approach to scripture. My words are a thing today. Anyway, love you guys. God bless.